we're in the middle of a series entitled, <laughs> You Keep Using That Word, I Do Not Think It Means What You Think It Means. And just a reminder that as we go through these words, we wanted to remind you that we wanted to spark understanding, conversation, interest, as well as a redemption of the words. We recognize that there's a lot of conversation a lot of vitriolic conversation, uh, a lot of people throwing words at each other, almost calling each other names by using these words. And what we want to do is stop for a moment and try to listen and slow down and pause and try to see, are there other things, other definitions, other meanings within these words that we can, um, that we can understand so that we can actually talk to one another, have a conversation rather than just throwing words at um, each other. Um, To that end, as we talk about some of these words, I just want to acknowledge the fact that sometimes the conversation can be uncomfortable because we start to talk about words that some of us hold really dear to our hearts, and we've used that word in a particular way for a long time. So today we're going to tackle the word gospel. And for those of us who have um, had experiences with the gospel, um, we have ways that we've defined that maybe our whole life. We're going to talk about a few of those. Um, And as we push through this Um, discussion, I think I'd like to just say, if it starts to get uncomfortable, sit tight. It's okay. Don't get scared. It's not scary. It's going to be all right. Um, But one of the things we do here at Spark is ask big questions. And we feel like Jesus can handle those big questions. Um, We feel that um, he doesn't need to defend himself. And so as we tackle this conversation or question of how do we use the word gospel and what does it really mean? And really, what did it mean 2,000 years ago? And then given that, what does it mean to us today? Um, As we push through that, if it starts to feel uncomfortable at some point, great. Um, That's a growth point for all of us. And Christianity is a faith of disruption. So we don't grow when we continue just to hear the things we've always known or we've always agreed with. Um, We grow when we're challenged. So we're going to do that this afternoon. So just, you know, buckle in and sit tight and don't get scared. That's all I wanted to say. So to that end, there's a couple things. As part of introduction, as we have done with the other words, how is this word kind of used in our culture? What are some ways that we can kind of set some groundwork? And here is one of them. How many of you have seen books entitled The Gospel According to, and then fill in the blank, The Gospel According to the Peanuts, The Gospel According to Dr. Seuss, a gospel, The Gospel According to Harry Potter, Gospel According to Disney, The Gospel According to the Simpsons, we got a little <laughs> shout out for the Simpsons there, Gospel According to Pixar, The Gospel According to Oprah, and each one of these books has using the word gospel to mean in some ways, at least that I can get a sense, that there is a message, a good message about reality or about this world, and it's coming through the avenue or through the medium of Disney movies, Peanuts cartoons, talk shows of Oprah Winfrey. And what's fascinating to me about this is we take a look at our culture and we see this word gospel. It has been in some ways co-opted, Um, because it's originally a Bible word or an ancient Greek word, but it's being used in this very positive light. It is something that's wonderful. It is something that's good. It is something that these people are sharing a message into this world, and let's get at what is the good thing, whether it's Oprah's favorite things. You know, is that... (laughs) Quick, look under your chairs. Yeah, everybody, under your chairs. There's (laughs) nothing. There. Oh, there's an iPad. Oh, okay, <laughs> one iPad under there. And we might take a look at that. Somewhere in there, 
is a good message. Somewhere in there is the gospel. Somewhere in there is something of an announcement of something that's wonderful. So that's one particular way in which we see this word used. The other way in which this word is used is in religious terms, the gospel movie, which is a wonderful drama. We use the word the gospel truth. That is the gospel truth. And in in some ways, it has this definition of this is the absolute final authority on this particular subject. Whether it's, you know, um, sociology, anthropology, science, whatever, that's the gospel truth. So the word gospel can sometimes have this definition or connotation of the absolute truth. And then probably one of the most commonly used ways in which this word gospel is used in religious Christian circles is as the fundamental message um, summed up in four spiritual laws as to what the entire message, life, teachings of Jesus is all about. So at the bottom, I have a tract there. Now, how many of you, I'm just kind of curious, have actually been given a tract? You've been somewhere and you've been given a tract. Oh, that's wonderful. So, okay. So even today, we are still very familiar. I was given a tract recently. Um, by one of my students, actually, <laughs> at, at King's Academy, which is a Christian school. So that was a lot of fun. Maybe he thought I needed saving or something like that. Um, and so I've given those tracks. I've received those tracks. And in those tracks is the gospel message. Now, we sometimes do some fun things with those tracks, which is to put those messages into forms that we might think are going to be attractive to some people, but yet um, it can sometimes feel like a bait and switch. Like at the bottom, don't be fooled. There is something you can have more valuable than money. And so... At which point you're just upset that's not a $20 bill. Yeah, right? like exactly. Kind of like Ryan a couple weeks ago, is that only a $10 bill, not a $20 <laughs> bill. And so that there's something in there. Now, If we use the word gospel in this particular way, what kind of message are we really saying by the word gospel? That's one of the questions that we want to ask. Now, this is one of the ways that I most commonly have understood the word gospel and the message. Um, If you take a look at this outline, this is a very common way. In fact, this is taught in Bible college. I took a class, we took a class in personal (laughs) evangelism by a professor who taught us how to do this, draw this out on a napkin for somebody so that they can hear the gospel message. We are over here. Well, when you're talking to the person, you are over there (laughs) on that particular side. And notice, you are very, very separate from the eternal life from who God is. But good news, Jesus has come, filled that gap. I got a funny story to tell you because I was in a, it was in Bible college, and one of our assignments in Bible college was to actually go out to the local university, which for me was San Jose State University, and go and share this with a random college student to see what kind of conversation it had. And let's just I don't uh, think I did that. You didn't do that. Well, that, I, it was my assignment. And let's just pretend for a second that my professor's name was Bob Smith, just to keep it very generic. So Mr. Smith, our professor, asked us to go to the college. Well, I'm an extreme introvert, and I'm already a little uncomfortable with this, this kind of thing. So, And you have to do this, and you have to report in order to get an A in the class. So I, I'm on San Jose State. I'm just like, I, I, I cannot cold cold walk up to somebody and just, hey, would you, can I ask you a question? Are you a sinner? Uh, do you feel like you're going down? Do you feel like there's this chasm between you and the, you know, it's really hard for me. So anyway, I, I found somebody sitting off to the side eating lunch by himself. I'm like, okay, by himself. I'll just come sit down. Hi, my name's Kevin. Um, 
and I don't, I'm not very good at this, so I'm like, I just need to tell you, I'm in a class. <laughs> uh, I, I have this assignment. Would you mind just sharing a little bit moment with me? And he says, sure, and he's eating his lunch, and I said, have you heard um, of the gospel message? And he says, yeah, I actually have. I said, oh, wonderful. So I'm thinking, this is going to be easy. Okay, I'll draw this out on the napkin. He's already going to know everything that's going on. And so we go through a little bit, and I just share with him that, have you heard this? Is this something that you've accepted? And he says, yeah, I, I, actually, I actually have. After my whole spiel, I'm saying, okay, things are going well. I'm taking notes, kind of a deal. And he, then he says, well, my, my father is actually a professor at a Bible college. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, oh, really? Because I'm at a Bible college. <laughs> What's your dad's name? Well, his name is Bob Smith. Kind of. I had found the one person on San Jose State College campus which, who was the son of my professor to share this gospel message with. So that was, that was my experience. <laughs> I think Jesus loves you. I think yeah, oh, yeah. You I got, I got right? me in the class <laughs> right. because he, he went home and told dad, you'll never guess what happened to me. That's oh, hilarious. I've never heard this story. This yeah. is why husbands and wives should preach together because they can learn something new. Um, so uh, for me, one of the times when I was taught, well, I was, I was taught that same thing. And I was actually shown like you should take, if you're sitting at a pizza parlor with somebody, you could take two cups of soda and then take the pizza a slice and put it between the two cups to illustrate the bridge. And I was like, I don't, the pizza was never quite sturdy enough to do that. So it just didn't work for me. But um, this, this one, I was at a church actually um, visiting to observe their children's ministry. And it's a great, wonderful church. And we walked in and I was with my staff and, and they said, you know, showed us this fantastic room for kids. And in the middle of the room was a rope swing. And I was like, phenomenal. Like, I love to swing. I love rope swings. How awesome is that? Like, wouldn't it be great to go to a church where there's a rope swing right in the middle of the room? And so I said, I love it. That's so great. Your kid just gets gets a swing. You know, that's fantastic. And they said, no, no, it's fantastic. So what we do is we line up all the kids on this side. And there was like sort of gym mats on either side. Line them up on this side. And then we tell them that the rope is Jesus. And we have them swing, hold onto that rope, swing across hell, and then drop onto the other side. And then once they get to that side of being united with God, they have to send the rope back for their friends. And I'm immediately horrified by this because I was not very athletic as a child and the rope swing was like only fear for me. Like it was the source of giant embarrassment in every PE class in elementary school because, you know, they always wanted you to get up and ring the bell and I really wanted to ring that bell at the top and I just couldn't. And so I knew that if I had been in that children's ministry class, I would have fallen into hell. Like there's no way, like I would have been like holding on to that swing going, oh no. And then I would have had tons of theological issues with am I in hell? Did I work hard? enough and it, and it all gets confusing did at that point did i let go of jesus did he kick me off the rope yeah. like there's all jesus these gave you rope burn right it's yeah, all, it's all terrible right <laughs> so <laughs> i kept i kept thinking why wouldn't you just say god's really fun he created gravity let's defy that for five seconds by swinging like that seems like a great message to tell kids but instead i just was horrified and so again like this kind of fiery pit with the hell in between that's how oftentimes we talk about this um, good news. We have great news for you. Um, and the gospel hand, this one dimension, God loves you so much, but you stink. You're a sinner. So that's the good news I've got for you today. God loves you and you suck. And then, um, but don't worry because Christ... Can I just say that seems a little like you should wait one more finger before the you suck. I don't know. That's just... <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. So I have sinned and then Christ died for me. And if you believe, then you'll go to heaven. And, <clears throat> and this gospel hand has 
done great things for many of us probably in the room where we have been explained a gospel message or presentation through one of these things. Has, has anybody heard this, something like this before? Did you that's maybe familiar. come to a faith decision through this explanation? And that's okay and great. But is that all that we mean when we talk about the gospel? Is, that, is this it? Is it, is it one-dimensional? Or is there a second, third, fourth dimension to this discussion? Well, to help answer the question, you can pick up the four spiritual laws, or there's always an app for that. You can always check there it out. There you go. So to we're help, technologically moving forward. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I want to reiterate a little bit what Danielle said, is that one of the things, and as she mentioned this at the beginning, it's really difficult, or we want to make sure that we communicate very clearly that the ways in which we grew up, like I said, I, we took a class in this. I remember uh, those napkin diagrams that were a part of my spiritual journey. So we respect that. We honor that. We, we definitely laugh at it now. It's, uh, it's good to laugh at yourself and good to have some humor about it. But we also want to hold the reality that those things are very important. I'm, I'm sure many of you take a look back in your spiritual journey or wherever, wh- however God used amazing, weird, you know, crazy things to bring you to the place that you are. These are things that God has used. The reason why we're asking these questions, though, today uh, is because we live in a different world, things are changing, things are evolving. To help us understand that a little bit, we thought it'd be good to get a little bit of a teaching from a third teacher for um, this evening from N.T. Wright. So here's what he has to say. One of the funny things about the Christian faith, and indeed about the Bible, is that it seems to be, as it were, designed that every generation has to chew it through afresh. We can none of us live on what was done before, because the culture is always changing, and that's always been so. Language is always changing. The pressure points for people are are always changing. And again and again, and this is not just in our generation, every generation has found this, uh, the things, the way that people said things before seem to go stale on you. It's rather like the Israelites with the man in the wilderness. You just have to go out and get the fresh stuff each day. And the good thing about that is it means that we all have to grow up. Um, there, there can be no passengers. And we've all got to think it through. And that's the, the Pauline business about being transformed by the renewal of our minds. That has to happen. And the only way that that happens, I think, for most of us, is when we're faced with new situations which demand that we think through afresh just what is it that we say and what do we mean by it. We've got to do that. Okay, so let's unpack that just a little bit. There's a couple things that he said in there that I think are important for our conversation. Number one, he talked about um, this message, this amazing transformational message that we have inherited from 2,000 years ago from Jesus and even beyond that is designed to be chewed through afresh. I just love that imagery, that the message that we've been handed is designed to not just be static and stale, but has been designed to be fluid as life moves on, as technology changes, as cultures change. And then I love what he talked about, the pressure points are changing. So the pressure points for the people in the first century is Roman imperialism, vast amounts of poverty. Um, You don't have the globalization in the same way that you do today. 
The pressure points for us today are vastly different. We're going to talk a little bit about that in this talk. But many of you know about the pressure points. Isolationism, individualism. We're deeply connected through this amazing technological advance, but yet somehow we are deeply separated and we don't know how to have intimate relationships in the same way as we used to. The family's disconnected. We have those pressure points. We have economic pressure points that are a little bit different. So we recognize that while we've inherited a wonderful message of the gospel, it is now our prerogative and our excited journey um, and our privilege to chew through it again. Let's ask the question once again, what is this thing called the gospel? And then I love what he says there. We all have to grow up. There can be no passengers. In, in the 1600s, 1700s, and 1800s, there was um, vast amounts of understanding in our society regarding authority, and a preacher who said something had a tremendous amounts of authority. So whatever the preacher said became the gospel truth for the community. But I love what he says there. This is now time for all of us to engage with this practice because you're at a tech company and you're at a school and you're in a cubicle and you're fighting trafficking and you're making deli sandwiches and you're... We are all in a variety of different places in which we now all have to take on the responsibility ourselves of asking the question, what is this gospel? And how is this good news to the people that I'm running into every day? And it starts also with the question, how is this good news for me, for us, for mm -hmm. our community? So I love that. And that's why we're asking these questions. Uh, N.T. Wright summed up in many ways the reason why we're going through this entire series. What is the Bible? What is faith? What is religion? What is church? What is the spirit? What is worship? What is the gospel? So that's why we're doing this. Second clip from N.T. Wright is going to get us launched now into answering the question then, what is this thing called the gospel? And again, this isn't going to be the definition that we hold on to and we make sure that it is the gospel truth that never changes, or that kind of a deal. It is to launch us forward into this journey of chewing through this message anew. So here's his second clip. One of the funny things about the four books we call Gospels is that we don't know that the four people who wrote them thought of that title for them. Uh, it may be that because Mark in his first verse says the beginning of the Gospel, uh, that people thought, ah, Mark thought he was writing a Gospel, so that must be what they all are. But then actually as the second century and subsequently refer to those books as Gospels, what they're saying is this is the good news about how God did the thing that he'd always promised to do. And so the story of Je the whole story of Jesus, not just the beginning and not just the end, the whole story is about something shocking and startling which bursts upon uh, a world which was partly ready for it and mostly not ready for it in the first third of the first century in Palestine. So the whole idea of gospel is that this is a public announcement about something that has happened as a result of which the whole world is a different place and you, 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 
everyone, but individually and corporately, is invited to discover that for themselves and to live within the new world that has thereby been created. And that's the good news. Of course, you can say it in a thousand different ways, but that's the story that all four of those books are telling. Something has happened by which the God who made the world has now fundamentally rescued the world from corruption and decay and everything else, and has invited all human beings everywhere to look at Jesus, the central character in this story, and to find in him and through him the way in which that new world has come to pass and that they can be part of it. Okay, so let's unpack this just a little bit. Two things. Again, this is not the end. This is only the beginning. And there's a lot more to talk about regarding the good news. Two things. First thing that he says, this is an announcement. Who recognizes this picture up there? (laughs) Oh, where did he go? Oh, did he step out and go to the bathroom? (laughs) <laughs> this is a picture that I grabbed off of Ryan Jones's Facebook page. It is his profile pic. Our guitar player. Our guitar player. And it's a picture of what? You recognize that, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan's shoes. Or maybe those are Ryan's shoes. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Ryan's shoes, Lily's shoes, and then, of course, baby's shoes. Now, what happens when somebody says, hey, I have an announcement? What do you feel? What do you sense? What happens in your soul and in the community? We just made another announcement. What happens to you when you hear somebody say, hey, I have an announcement? Something within us gets excited. Something within us anticipates. Something within us is enlivened because we know there's something wonderful and good that is happening here. And not only is this good news, this announcement for them, guess what? It's good news for all of us. So when he and she and they make an announcement, whether it's a baby, whether it's graduation, whether it's a wedding, whether it's an engagement, whatever it is, when there's an announcement, we all participate and celebrate. And we know that their lives are going to be radically changed as a result of what is happening, these events that are occurring. And our community is also changed by what happens to them. And I think we have lost, this is my own personal opinion, we have lost this sense from the term gospel. When we think gospel, we think idea, concept, theology, these are the things that you have to know. But, you, but what we have to get back, back into our hearts and our emotions back into is like when these first century people heard that there is a gospel, there is good news, this is first and foremost an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, I have an announcement. And people are listening now with excited ears. Please tell me, what is this good news? And when you hear this good news, you are immediately excited for them, for you, and for us. Now, fundamentally, what this means, what N.T. Wright talked about, is that this is not just an announcement, but it's an announcement that the world is not the same as it once was, centered on the person of Jesus. When this happens in the world, when Jesus comes into the world, we may think that the world works one particular way, but because of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, and his message, we understand uh, 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 the world actually works a completely different way. It is to see the world through different 
glasses. Prior to that, you see the world through Roman imperial glasses. Prior to that, you, th- you see the world through oppressive glasses. You see the world through a disparity between rich and poor, those who are slave, those who are free, those who are of one race versus another race. And then Jesus comes along and Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not how the world works. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. We are all one. You think the world works one way, but no, the world actually is something completely different because of Jesus. And that is good news because we don't have to live in the world that we just see every day, that we think is oppressive, that we think is unjust and unjust, that we think is disparity, that we think is pain and tragedy. That is not the world in which we live. Because of Jesus, we actually see this world through hope, through compassion, through restoration, through rescue. That is good news. And when people heard this good news, it's like, yes, I celebrate with you and with us because of what is happening. And I would love for us as a community, and I get excited about this, that when I think of the term gospel now, while the gospel hand and the gospel chasm and the gospel Jesus rope may still be a step towards faith, I would love to infuse this word gospel with an excitement sense of announcement that this world does not have to be the ways in which we all see it often. The world is actually quite different. So, One, the gospel is a wonderful announcement. This world is different. Number two, it's an invitation. And just like you, when you get an invitation in the mail, I get excited. Oh, somebody thought of me. Somebody thought I could participate. Somebody saw something in me. Hey, I want you. I want you to play on this team. Hey, no, no. I want you to come play in my symphony. No, no. I, I think I want you to be a part of my team. You know what? I think you could actually be a part of this journey, this this amazing movement. So when when you get an invitation, that is also something exciting. It's like a VIP pass to participate. So when you put those two together, you're looking at an announcement of something wonderful and an invitation to be a part of this brand new world that Jesus is ushering in. The word um, gospel actually comes from this word euangelion, which is where we get our word evangelism. It just simply means good message, a good message. The word gospel is from this old English that means, uh, that has the etymology of God's spell. And spell is is an old English word that just simply means to declare, to tell. Um, You've heard the word, what's your spiel? It's the same kind of connotation comes from the same root. What's the story that you want to tell? What is this message? And I would like to suggest that this message is a wonderful announcement of which we get excited about something radical and new and an invitation to participate in what that new thing is. So part of what this means then is in good spark form, when we try to understand what that word means, gospel, euangelion, good news, we go back, right, 2,000 years or plus or more. You could go to Isaiah 52, verse 7, and says, How beautiful are the feet 
of those on the mountains who bring good news, who bring this excitement, this announcement, this invitation, and read the rest of Isaiah 52 because it is good news. And so at that point, then let's start to understand when Jesus shows up and he says, I am here because I'm going to preach the gospel, good news. He says that before his death, burial, and resurrection. So it can't be that only, as we often think about the gospel, that it is that salvation process of what happens ultimately when we pray, when we make a decision, when we find Jesus trustworthy, trust him, all good stuff. That is the gospel, and it is also the announcement that God is here. I have good news, first century Israel. Though Rome is in charge, though they rule, though they crucify so many Jews that they run out of wood in the city of Jerusalem, though they have slaughtered Pharisees, though they sit here and tax you up to 90%, I have good news, they're not in charge. Jesus says, I am here, here is the good news, here is the gospel, I'm in charge. God is king, they're not king. Remember what he says when he stands before Herod and Pilate and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. This, by the way, Herod, Pilate, you aren't in charge. God is in charge. This is good news. When the woman is sitting there, the widow, and she's walking out with her son who's in a coffin. She's lost her only son. She's a widow. She's lost her husband and now her son. She will forever, she doesn't have any money. She doesn't have any livelihood. And Jesus walks up and says, get up and get out. Rise again. That's good news. If you had lost your spouse, your loved one, the one that you most desperately cared for, if I had heard, God forbid, that my husband had passed, but three days later, as we are sitting mourning, somebody came and said, he's not dead, he's alive, you get to see him again. That is really good news. That's the gospel, that things aren't as they were, but they are changing, and there is good news in that. Blessed are the poor. The poor are blessed. Yeah, good news. Because they're going to see heaven. Blessed are those peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the meek. What? Yes, good news. Good news. All of you who are following after Jesus, those of you who went to the tomb to mourn him as this one that you loved is now lying there. You're thinking he's still there and you go to mourn the one you believe is dead. And instead, the angel says, why are you here looking for the living among the dead? He is alive. He is risen. Good news. You don't have to say goodbye to this one that you've loved. You don't have to say goodbye to the one that you've followed and given your entire life to. You get to see him again. Good news. He's with you right now. He's here. He is alive. And he's in charge. Good news. Death didn't win. Good news. Rome didn't win. This is the gospel message. It's good news. And even as we were thinking about this, I told Kevin, I'm so humbled because how do you even give this in 20, 30 minutes on a church Sunday? To be able to say, let me tell you about the gospel. Because it's just so huge and so beautiful and good. And then as those Christians started to go out into the Roman Empire, and as they started to share with others, by the way, Acts chapter 17, check it out. Chapter 17, I believe it's verse 7, where, where they say, we are in trouble here, Paul is in trouble here, because he is saying that Caesar is not king, but Jesus is. 
And as they go out and they start to see these emperors change over and over again, each one worse than the last. And as even the, the kingdom, the, the empire at that time would just build statues of these burly emperors and change the head off because it was too much work to be able to continue to make brand new statues for every emperor as they would change their reign so quickly. And you just see that new head jump on up. And here comes this guy. And here comes Caligula. And he's crazy. And here comes this guy. And he's crazy. And here comes Hadrian. And, Hadrian, and then here comes, oh my gosh, Domitian. And then in that setting... Paul goes out and he says, I have good news. It's not just, here's four spiritual laws, here's how you can get saved. Guess what? By the time you, you won't have to be in hell forever, you get to be reunited for Jesus. Yes, that's good news. But guess what? I have even more news. As you lay your head, Paul, on the chopping block and Rome takes its power that's in this world and beheads you, Paul knows that there's good news. They're not in charge, God is. This isn't their kingdom. It's going to be God's kingdom. And he is in the process of setting things to right. And this has been an announcement. Caesar is not king. God is king. And Jesus is ruling and reigning and things are being set to right. And we are invited to come and participate in this good news. When you understand that announcement, you understand why these people flock to this message. Of course they're going to take up this. Of course they're going to follow this Jesus. You're telling me Caesar's not in charge? There's somebody else? There's a different world that exists other than the one that I'm in? I want that world. That's good news. That's awesome news. Okay, so the question we want to ask is, is this still good news? I want to share with you just very briefly what our Thursday, what our weekend was like. On Thursday, we had, we had an invitation. Well, it wasn't really an invitation. We saw it in the New York Times. Danielle saw it about the, uh, Thomas Friedman's Global Forum, and we went. It was an amazing day filled with brilliant CEOs. People are doing all sorts of amazing things all over the world. In, in, industry, um, capital uh, gains, uh, energy, education, all sorts of amazing things. Uh, Gavin Newsom was there, uh, the lieutenant. Not presenting, just sitting in the audience. Yeah. So we're rubbing shoulders. Yeah. I mean, and we looked on the list. And I think we were the only two pastors at this event, so that was <laughs> a lot of fun. So we were at this particular event. We come home and we watch Miami. Well, first we watched. Was it? I thought Miami no, was first. That oh, was so later. Was, okay, so this is not as important as the next news. But we did watch Miami win the championship. But the best news that we saw the same day was Abby Wambach uh, beating the world record for international goals scored in both men's and women's soccer. She's uh, incredible. So she made 160 goals. And I can clearly see that we're going to need to talk about this good news because this audience, especially since we're American, we need a little bit of education as to why. This is, this is huge. <laughs> soccer, of course. Danielle was like, soccer, of course, it's good news. It's always good news with soccer. Um, and then on Saturday... Danielle participated in a wonderful event put on by BBC. We toured around with Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition, and we got to see a lot of the people and, and groups and organizations and ministries in the Bay sort of ringing the Bay that are trying to make a difference on the issue of human trafficking. Um, and we, we heard some pretty tough stuff. We heard stories that I can't repeat to Kevin unless I, and I start to cry. Um, I'll start to cry now. We hear... Um, Beautiful stories of how people are starting to light uh, a match in that darkness. 
Uh, we heard stories about how people are trying to bring justice to our supply chain. And, and in the midst of all of that conversation, I think as we're pressed, and, and I, I think I felt at the Global Forum on Thursday as we were sitting there, we're supposed to network during like the brunch and, the, and then the lunch and then the cocktail hour afterwards, which we had to leave early because we had to watch soccer. Um, but in those moments where we're networking, I'm sitting there like in fear that somebody's going to ask me what it is that I do, which is, it's, is question number two. Hi, my name is, and what do you do? And people are saying, you know, I work here, like I'm the CFO of this, I'm the, and, and there's, it's Google, it's Apple, it's all of these people, and then I just kind of want to say like, I'm at a startup, Palo Alto, because I know as soon as I say I'm a pastor that I have now just introduced fear into the eyes of the person that's standing across from me, and they have now said, thank you for the most awkward moment of my day, and you're just there right then, and they're frightened, and I'm totally uncomfortable, and I'm starting to sweat, and I'm like, why didn't I just tell my lead tours to Israel? Like, how did I just derail here? And, and in those moments, I'm thinking, and we did have a conversation with the one poor soul who asked us what it was that we did over lunch. And so now she's there and we're there. And you could tell she's just completely uncomfortable with the entire conversation. And she just starts in. I don't like organized religion. All I experience is bigotry. All I experience is closed-mindedness. You, you know, it's against science. It's against people. It's against, it's homophobic. It's all of these things. And that's the first conversation we have. And I'm like, I have good news, right? Like, um, you, you know, <laughs> like, how do you, what is, I, get, I went home with Kevin because we're thinking about this talk all week. And I said, what? is the good news there? Is there still good news there? When all of these people have everything that they could ever imagine, fame and power and wealth and, and homes and cars and everything else, what is the good news there? Is there something that is there that's good news? And we came away from all of this saying, yeah, there's good news. The good news for me, standing there feeling awkward and completely inadequate for any conversation other than to make other people feel awkward, um, the good news is that it's not up to me. Jesus is in charge. He's king. He's ruling. Danielle, there's good news. It's not up to you to sit two glasses in front of this person, grab a piece of pizza, and explain a four-step gospel. Guess what? You can love them. Jesus is on the throne, whether or not you explain that well, and you can just start to engage and get to know. And there's good news, because there's going to come a moment when somebody there is going to need somebody. They're going to need the God of the universe to say, I love you, I've chosen you, I have good news for you. There's more than only this. There's good news there. And even when you're seeing wonderful athleticism and celebration of all the human form can do, and you get to watch and participate, is there good news there where people are on a high and they're like, it can't get any better than this, and I'm thrilled because I'm excited and watching goals that I love to see made and all of that. Is there good news? Yeah, there's good news there. There's more than that. There's more. If an athlete gets injured, it's the end of that good news, right? It's the end of that. What is the good news there? Guess what? Jesus is in charge. He loves you. And really great news is not that, by the way, if you don't make this decision tonight, you go and burn in hell. That doesn't sound like good news. The good news is that God loves you. He's pursuing you, and he's starting the process of setting things to right. And as we start to go throughout the Bay Area and we start to learn about not how human trafficking is in some far distant land, but how it's here in our own back backyards and how there are people, precious little ones. A th we heard of a three-year-old girl who had been trafficked from age three to 11 in Emeryville. That's 
horribly dark news. Where is the good news there? The good news there is that people who see the world the way that Jesus has created it, who know that he is king, have stepped in and said, we have good news. You don't have to live there anymore. Now you get to live here with us, with redemption, with hope, with rescue. We have good news. Jesus is alive, and he is in charge. He's king. We also share this with you because each and every one of you have your own days that look probably similar to this. And like N.T. Wright said, that all of us now have a wonderful opportunity to chew afresh what this good news is in your area. We hope that this inspires you in some way to think and then to share with us because we get to learn how this good news gets translated into your areas of influence, into your circles and into your community. I want to share with you just a brief story from Rich Stearns. It was really, really hard for me not to just sit and read the first 60 pages of this book to you tonight. Um, I would encourage you to pick up this book uh, and read through this amazingly wealthy person who turned down a $50 million salary job to go be the president of World Vision, one of the greatest humanitarian organizations in the world right now, all over the world. So I just want to share with you one particular story um, because he talks about how the good news of the gospel transformed his life. He, it was an announcement to him, an invitation that he participated in, recognized that the world is not about climbing the corporate ladder, recognized that the world is actually a different world, and has now gone on to be the uh, CEO and president of World Vision. Here's the story that he, oh, he has this quote, I believe we have reduced the gospel from a dynamic and beautiful symphony of God's love for and in the world to a bare and strident monotone. And I love that imagery because um, I just think it's a wonderful, beautiful um, musical image. I don't think I've ever been to a place as spiritually dark as Gulu in northern Uganda. Gulu is the epicenter of more than 20 years of violent atrocities committed by the so-called Lord's Resistant Army and its leader, Joseph Kony, a monster who has declared himself to be the son of God. If Satan is alive and manifesting himself in our world, he is surely present in this cultish and brutal group whose trademark is the kidnapping of children who are subsequently forced at gunpoint to commit murder, rape, and even acts of cannibalism. During his reign of terror, it is believed that Coney has kidnapped more than 38,000 children, killing some and forcing the rest to become killers themselves by conscripting them into the LRA as child soldiers. As part of their brutal indoctrination, the children are often forced to hack their own brothers or sisters to death with a machete because bullets are too precious to waste, and then to drink the blood of those they have killed. The girls, often just 12 or 13, are gang-raped and forced to become sex slaves and wives to the rebel commanders. As a result of the LRA's grisly raids over, the, over two decades, some 1.5 million people have been driven from their land and forced to live in camps for internally displaced persons in and around Gulu. It was in this unlikely backdrop that I witnessed the awesome power of the gospel that has become so tame to us in America. For more than a decade, World Vision's Children of War Center has worked to rehabilitate and restore the children who are rescued or managed to escape from the LRA rebels. These are children with unimaginable spiritual and psychological and emotional wounds, kids who are typically feared as monsters and rejected by the very communities they once came from because of what they have been forced to do. Sometimes their own parents do not want them back. Their childhoods have been stolen from them and their very souls desecrated by horror after horror. Intense spiritual and emotional counseling, forgiveness and reconciliation, and even job skills training have been provided to thousands of these damaged children. 
the two boys entering the compound that day had also been subjected to the uh, depredations of their own captivity by the LRA. They, too, had been forced to kill and maim. Their eyes were hollow and vacant, eyes that had seen unspeakable things. Their souls seemed dead. I could see no life in them. Jesus in his most distressing disguise. They had been captured by the Ugandan army, and now they were brought to World Vision for help, for redemption, for healing. They had names, Michael and Joseph. Michael's left arm was withered, the result of a gunshot wound uh, sustained before he was fully grown in some past firefight. The LRA warned the child soldiers that they would be murdered by their own people if they ever tried to go home. They were even told that if they were taken to the Children of War Center run by World Vision, they would be poisoned or worse. That is why these boys were terrified that day, stepping out of the car. The other 40 children of war, damaged souls all, surrounded them and began singing and clapping joyfully. These songs of praise to God, anthems of healing and forgiveness, were more beautiful than any choir of angels. Michael and Joseph were dumbstruck at this welcome, so different from what they had expected. They began to see faces they knew, other kids who had escaped, who had, like them, also known the brutal hand of the LRA and had murdered at their command. Some spark of light began to return to their hollow eyes. Again, I love our name of our church. Hesitant smiles slowly turned up the corners of their mouths as high fives and hugs were offered by this one and that. Soon, all 50 of us poured into this makeshift chapel of corrugated tin and rough wooden benches in the compound. A spontaneous worship service erupted as the songs of God's healing, forgiveness, and power were sung over and over again. Welcome home, welcome home, welcome home, Michael and Joseph. You are home now. The good news... The glorious, life-transforming gospel washed over Michael and Joseph. And in that moment, the unthinkable possibility of forgiveness broke over them like a new dawn. They could be forgiven, restored, made whole again. This was almost impossible to believe, the glad tidings so overwhelmingly good. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Luke 4, 18-19. Even a small match lit in a, dark, in a place of total darkness gives off a blinding light. So great had Michael and Joseph's darkness been that the light of the gospel, the whole gospel, was brilliant and blinding, shining with intensity, authority, and hope. Jesus, too, had been abducted. He, too, had been beaten and maimed, and he, like them, had faced unspeakable evil and defeated it. And Jesus had made this forgiveness possible. Get this book. And... It was really hard for me to put this book down and, and kind of put this into PowerPoint for us tonight. When we think of good news, do we think of that announcement and that invitation and this world in here? This world is dark. This world is drab. This world is unjust. This world is pain. And the good news ushers in a completely different way to see the world because of Jesus. For us. For us. What's so wonderful about Rich's story in World Vision and what has happened to him and his story is that this is not good news that happened 2,000 years ago. This is good news that happens today. And you read his story and you go, 
that, how did you go from where you were, $50 million in salary at this amazing company, this merger, to now doing this work, to having your life completely transformed? Now, I'm not suggesting, and he isn't either, that that is what you need to do. It is an illustration of how the world is completely different when you begin to accept the invitation to this good news. And for us, the old world looks like this. Loneliness, abuse, neglect, failure, injustice, trafficking, divorce, poverty, tragedy, ambivalence, hatred, despair. We could fill in a whole bunch of other things. And what we are seeing is we are announcing to you and to us that that is not the world we live in. We experience these things, absolutely, But because of Jesus and his invitation, we have been invited into a completely different world. One where there's community, one where there's healing, one where there's restoration and redemption and justice and freedom, one where there's wholeness, one where there's security, one where there's forgiveness and healing, passion, love, and hope. And that, my friends, is really good news. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't only that Jesus invites us to have a personal relationship with him. He is alive. We get to experience him on a daily basis. That is the gospel. But it is also that the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus is here right now, and he is in the process of transforming our world, and that Rome is no longer in charge, that through the person of Jesus Christ, God has now taken the throne. God is now in charge. God is ruling and reigning. And because of Jesus' whole life and his death and burial and resurrection, we get to start to announce the beginning of this good news and begin to be invited into the process of bringing this good news to the world around us. That's the gospel. It's so big and it's so good. And be able to share that across the table from a friend at a pizza parlor is near impossible because it's just too big and too beautiful and it can't be drilled down to four steps only. It's so much more than only those four steps. That's part. He is trustworthy. He is one we can have personal relationship with and then be reunited with the God, the creator of this universe by trusting him forever and ever. That's great, good, wonderful, amazing news. And... He is in the process of redeeming and restoring and rescuing and transforming this entire world right now. It's good news. It's good news. Right now we wanted to just give ourselves a moment to turn to one another in groups of two or three, and you can move your chairs if you like. If, you, if that just strikes fear in your heart, you can sit by yourself, and that's totally fine as well. But we want to invite you to pray with one or two others and just ask that God would enliven your heart, your soul. If you've been following Jesus for 22 years, that you and I would be reignited with a fire for what the gospel really is. For this wonderful relationship that we are invited to participate in with Jesus to the creator of the universe. That we are invited to bring good news to this world. And if you need more of that good news in your life, then ask your friend, ask your neighbor sitting with you to help pray that with you. I need more of that good news. I need to be reignited with a fire for this gospel. 
And if you have a friend, a coworker, a situation at work, if you know you're going to a global forum this week and you're trying to figure out how do I bring good news to that situation, we want to invite you to ask prayer for that as well. And just turn to one another and take a few moments to say, would you pray with me for this person, um, for, for me, for this person that I love? Would you help us trust that God can bring good news to this situation? It can be a situation that's broken, that's hurting in your life, um, and that we're just hoping that there'll be some good news that comes of that. So take a few moments. We'll pray together.